Christian scripture is not a textbook. It's not a book of morals. Christian scripture, beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation, is a story. It's an epic story. It begins over here at the beginning. In Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And on the sixth day he made man and he made woman. And in his image he made them, male and female he made them. And he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule. Rule my world. As my royal sons and daughters whom I love, rule my world with my love, with my kingship, with my joy, and my righteousness. The story ends in Revelation 21-22 with a new creation. And behold, I looked, and I saw new heavens, and a new earth, and the dwelling of God was with his people, and they will be his people, and I will be his God, says the Lord. The story can be divided into six parts, creation, fall, Israel, the king comes. The mission of the church, I'm going to get out of step. New creation. Christian scripture is the story that makes sense of all of our stories. It's the great story that makes sense of the whole world. It's a story without which your story makes no sense. Where are we going? Who am I? Where have I come where have I come from? What is meaning and purpose in life? Where are we going? Everything started well in Genesis 1. God intended for his image bearers to fill the earth as they were fruitful and multiplied in marriage. Fill the earth with his glory. Image is image, you see. But in Genesis 3, humanity, the image, decides they want to build their own kingdom and not build the kingdom of God. That they're better off without God. And they plunge the world into rebellion and sin and death. We're still the image, but we've mucked it up. why there's disease and there's why there's death and there's why there's pain and there's why there's evil in the world. The image is still the image of God. We are still the image of God, but we're not really the image of rebellion. But plan A is still plan A. God will not be thwarted. There is no plan B. God will fill the earth 
through his image bearers, fill the earth with his glory. He will not be thwarted. He will not be outdone. It will be accomplished. But how? He calls Abraham, a nobody named Abraham, and he takes his family and he says, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Israel. And God covenants with Israel and he says, in and through you, my glory will be mediated to the world. You are my kingdom of priests, right? What's a priest? It's a go-between, right? A priest is somebody that stands between God and people. And God says to Israel, you will be my kingdom of priests. You will mediate me to the nations. You will accomplish and fill my world with my glory. But the history of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the history of Israel's failure. The nation that's to bring salvation to the world finds itself in need of salvation. Is itself part of the problem. So God sends his king, Act 4. King Jesus. He sends his son. And what Israel failed to accomplish, Jesus accomplishes. He goes to the cross. He dies for our sin. God raises him from the dead, exalts him to the right hand, and he begins to rule and extend his kingdom upon the earth. And he calls 12. And those 12 disciples are to to make disciples. And those disciples are to make disciples and to spread the kingdom over the face of the earth. The church, filled with the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives, will succeed where old covenant Israel failed. Why? Because we're better people? Nope. What's the key difference between the old covenant and the new covenant people of God? Jesus and the Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit, where Israel failed to be the kingdom of priests and bring God's glory to the nations, we will succeed. Not because of anything in ourselves. The sufficiency comes from God as he applies Jesus to our lives, as he applies the Spirit to our lives and enables us to bring God's glory to the nations. So the mission extends as we make disciples and bring the gospel to the nations. God's glory is mediated to the world. And in the end, when Jesus comes back, there is a new creation there will be no more tears, no more sin, no more disease, no more death, just you and I enjoying God's presence in a renewed Garden of Eden forever. That's the story. That's the story. That's where we've come from. That's where we're going. Plan A is still plan A. God will not be thwarted. We will have resurrection bodies living in a resurrected world forever. Why do I share all that? Because our text this morning, and actually really any text of the New Testament or Old Testament, makes no sense if you don't know the story. You've got to have the context. You've got to have the story in place. You've got to know the story. You've got to know that it's an epic story that runs from creation to new creation. And that Jesus is the hero of the story and the king of the story. 
and the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. The new creation is where heaven and earth meet and become one place. What do we, what do we say in the Lord's Prayer? We pray Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, King James Version, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, on earth as it already is in heaven. We're not going up to heaven. Heaven is coming down to earth. Heaven and earth are going to be one place. Creation matters. God said it was good. And it's going to be very good again someday. We're in a series in 2 Corinthians 3. But shift. Paul, the apostle, is fighting for his life at Corinth. Some false teachers have come into Corinth. Paul calls them the super apostles. They're Jewish. They have impressive credentials. They're excellent speakers. They're polished, handsome, and dashing. (laughs) And they have persuaded the Corinthian church that Paul's gospel, meh, not so good. Look at Paul. He looks like something the cat dragged in. He suffers too much. He preaches for free. You want glory, you want Moses and the law. And we, it costs us something to come to your church. we'll speak twice, third time's free. We're dashing and handsome, and we don't suffer like Paul does. They're questioning his gospel, and they've they've come to believe it. They've come to believe it. But if you walk away from Paul, who's been called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, if you walk away from Paul, if you walk away from his gospel, you're walking away from Jesus, and you're walking away, therefore, from salvation. Paul is terrified they're going to walk away from him, walk away from his message, and and they're going to walk away from Jesus. And they already have begun to do so. Salvation's at stake. Life and death are at stake. So Paul writes this letter pleading with them for him to come back to his gospel, to come back to him. That's the context of our letter. That's the context of our passage. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 18. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from God, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is our confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
Guys, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with glory, such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? My gospel, Paul says. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And not as Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, Genesis 1, into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We'll break it down to four sections. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? The false apostles came with credentials. They came with letters of recommendation. A letter of recommendation, if you have ever applied for a job and need a recommendation letter from somebody, gives you legitimacy in front of somebody that doesn't know you very well, right? Gives you authority, gives you, lets you know that you're legit. And the super apostles, the false teachers, came with letters of recommendation. We don't know from who, but they came with impressive letters of credentials letters of recommendation. They say, where's Paul's? Where's Paul's letter? Where's his legitimacy? And Paul says, you are my legitimacy. You are my letter of recommendation. How do you know my ministry is real? When I preach the gospel, Christ comes and writes his letter on your heart. You're my letter of recommendation, he says. Look at your life. It's been transformed by the gospel. How do you know my ministry is legit? Says Paul, look at your life. When I came and preached the gospel, the spirit was mediated to you. The spirit was given to you. Your life was transformed. And now you're following and love Jesus. And you're not idol worshiping anymore. That's amazing. Paul here, do you see verse 3? Christ comes and writes this letter, not with ink, he writes it on the Corinthians' hearts, not with ink, but he writes this letter of recommendation by the Spirit, it says, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Do you see that? We have the text? Awesome. What's the tablets of stone referring to? If you know your Old Testament, right? The two tablets, the two stone tablets that God wrote on the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, that Moses was on Mount Sinai, God came down in his glory, and Moses went up to the mountain, 
and enveloped Moses in his glory, and gave, God gave Moses the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, and then he walked down the mountain with them and gave, gave them to Israel. Glory. But this covenant, Paul says, is not written on tablets of stone. This, tab, this covenant is written on tablets of human hearts. And what's going on here is Paul is referencing, Paul is alluding to, Paul is quoting Ezekiel 36, which was a prophecy that when the Messiah came, God was going to give his people, he's going to do heart transplant surgery. He's going to take out the heart of stone, the heart of sin, the heart of rebellion, and he's going to put in his people a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that loves God, a heart that has the law written on it. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. This is Ezekiel 36. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." See, Israel had mucked it up. Israel was supposed to be God's instrument to bring salvation to the nations, Act 3. But what we find is that Israel has a hard heart. Israel has the heart of sin. Israel herself is in need of salvation. The chosen instrument of salvation is herself part of the problem. And the plan goes south. The plan is stalled out in Israel because of their heart of stone, because of their heart of rebellion. If you read the Old Testament, you're just like, what is going on? Why can't Israel get their act together? Why do they continually rebel and turn away from the Lord? Because they're in Adam. Just like you and I were in Adam. We're sinful people. And we don't love God. Apart from Christ, we do not love God. We do not want God. We do not desire God. There is not a single affection for God. It's not that we do bad things. It is we are bad to the core of who we are. And when we're born, we're born into it. We want nothing to worry. We are born rebels. We need a Savior. We need somebody to do heart transplant surgery and take out that heart of rebellion and put in that heart of flesh and give us the spirit. And that's what Paul says happens through his ministry here, 2 Corinthians 3. This prophecy is being fulfilled through Jesus and Paul's ministry. He says, I preach, you believe, God takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh. It says literally, tablets of human hearts here in the ESV, tablets of fleshly hearts, alluding back to Ezekiel 36. Well, why can Paul have such confidence in his ministry, verses 4 to 6? Why is he so confident that God is at work in his ministry? Such is the confidence, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 3 through 6, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, like the super apostles. Our sufficiency is from God, 
who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, the old covenant, but of the spirit, the new covenant. For the letter, the old covenant kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul is so confident that God is at work in his ministry because there's nothing in Paul that makes this possible. He's just flesh. God called Paul, he says. I was riding on my horse, and God literally kicked me off, knocked me off my horse. Jesus revealed himself in all his glory to me. He blinded me with his glory so I could not see. And he gave me the gospel message, and he chose me to bring this message to the world. And he's made me a minister of the new covenant. Which is also a quotation of another Old Testament text. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Let's read that one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke over and over and over again, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31 promises a new covenant. And Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 and Paul's day were always brought together to talk about the same thing. When the Messiah comes, God's going to create a new covenant. Not like the old covenant that didn't have the gift of the Spirit. A new covenant where the law is not written on stone tablets, but is written on the heart. What does that mean? What does it mean it's going to be, the law is going to be written on the heart? Let's have a dialogue. What does the law mean for the law to be written on the heart? What do you think? God reveals himself to us. Yep. And what is our heart? What sits here? Not, not the physical heart. Our, our, the heart, of, the place of our will, right? It's the place of our will. It's the place of our emotions. It's the place of our affections. So if God's law is written there, what comes out of you? Obedience. Love for Jesus. Faithfulness. Affections for Christ. Affections for God. A heart that beats and pulses finally with life, right? This is the gift of the new covenant. is the new heart and the spirit which writes God's law on your heart. The old covenant came with glory. It did. We'll talk about it. The new covenant comes with glory. Why? Because this covenant, unlike this covenant, 
This covenant creates a people who will succeed where Israel failed. Not because of anything in ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God. It's all of God. If there's one moment of loving Jesus, if there is one place or point in time that you have affections for him, if there's a point where you find yourself wrapped up in faithfulness and obedience, that is not you. That is Jesus working in you to accomplish his glory and advance his kingdom. So Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul here is saying, in me, Jeremiah 31, in my ministry, the ministry that Jesus bought for our, his people on the cross, in my ministry, the new covenant is being accomplished. As I preach the gospel, as you hear the gospel, as God mediates the spirit to you and reveals his glory to you, you are saved. And he does heart surgery. And he takes out the heart of stone. And he puts in the heart of flesh. And he gives you the spirit. And you are transformed. That's why I'm so confident in my ministry. Not because of anything in myself, says Paul. So why does Paul bring up the new covenant here? I think it's specifically done. Verses 7 to 11. I'm not going to read verses 7 to 11 again for sake of time. But it's a... Seth, if we could have the chart, uh, the beginning of the chart. Paul here contrasts the ministry of the old covenant with the ministry of the new covenant. So let's just look at his comparison here very quickly. The Mosaic covenant and the new covenant. In the Mosaic covenant, God's law is written on the tablets of stone. In the new covenant, God's law is written on tablets of fleshly human hearts. In the Mosaic covenant, we get the letter, that is, the Torah, the law, is inscribed on the stone tablets, but there is no transformation. There is no spirit. In the New Covenant, we get the spirit. The Mosaic Covenant kills. The New Covenant makes alive resurrect. Resurrect, excuse me. Why does the Mosaic Covenant kill? Because when Israel comes in contact with God's glory, when, Mos when the heart of stone Israel comes in contact with the Old Covenant, with God's law, it kills them because they can't keep it. They don't want to keep it. They rebel because they have the heart of sin. Oh, who will save me from this body of death? Who will save me from this heart of rebellion? Tear it out of me, says Paul in Romans 7. So Israel has this heart of sin, this downward spiral before you met Jesus, this downward spiral of sin where you want to get out and you can't get out. You just keep making the wrong choices over and over again. You know it's wrong, and you deserve God's condemnation, and it's killing you. You know God's law, and you can't save yourself. The old covenant kills. New covenant resurrects, makes alive. Mosaic covenant mediates death because, of course, if you don't obey and you rebel, the wages of sin is death. The New Covenant mediates the Spirit and life. Next slide. Mosaic Covenant mediates the glory of God. It's glorious. But the New Covenant is super abundant in its glory of God and mediating the glory of God. Mosaic Covenant condemns. The New Covenant brings about righteousness. The Mosaic Covenant is temporary. It ends with Christ. 
The new covenant lasts forever and ever. Begins with Christ. Mosaic covenant has the veil. Has the veil. We'll talk about that in just a second. The new covenant has no veil. Mosaic covenant leads to rebellion. The new covenant, glad obedience. Mosaic covenant, no transformation. The new covenant, transformation into the image of God. So Paul here compares verse 3, 7, 11, the old covenant with the new covenant. The super apostles are preaching the old covenant. Paul's preaching the new covenant. He says, do some comparison shopping. Which one gives you the spirit? Which one gives you life? Which one gives you the glory of God? So the new covenant accomplishes what the old covenant could not. And that brings us to verses 12 verses through verses 18. Since we have such a hope in the new covenant, we are very bold in our ministry. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was coming to an end. Mosaic covenant is temporary. But Israel's mind was hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We have a third Old Testament text. In these 18 short verses, four Old Testament texts are referenced by Paul, and he just assumes we know the story. So an application point, I guess, would be that uh, we need to know the Old Testament story. If you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know the whole story. You don't know what's going on with Jesus. But anyway, Exodus 34, verses 29 to 35 is the text that he has in mind here. And I'm just going to read it. Context is Israel is at the base, at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've been delivered in the Exodus. They've come out of Egypt. God has brought them across the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptians. And now Israel is safe and sound free from slavery, sitting at the foot at the base of Mount Sinai, Yahweh has called Moses up to the mountain to receive the covenant. So Yahweh and his glory has come down upon the mountain. Moses has come up to the temple, if you will, and, and been enveloped into God's glory. He receives the tombstone tablets. This is where we are here, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two stone tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking to God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. Shone with what? Shone with his glory. He'd been in God's presence. God is glorious. God's glory is this visible manifestation of all his manifold perfections. And God did not destroy Moses, 
have brought him into his presence to bask in his glory. And Moses, as he leaves, is glowing, glowing, basking, reflecting God's glory because he's been renewed as an image bearer. Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Verse 30. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid. They were afraid to come near him. Why are they terrified to come near Moses? They're afraid to come near Moses because only Moses has been given the heart of flesh. All the rest of Israel, heart of stone. And when you come into God's presence with a heart of rebellion, all you feel is what? You're terrified. Why? Because you rightfully know that you deserve to be dead. God's glory, when it comes up against sinful flesh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah cried and said, I am undone. I am a sinful man. So Israel is terrified of the glory of God on Moses' face. And he doesn't, even under, he doesn't understand why. He doesn't know why his, his face is, is uh, glowing. He doesn't get it. But Moses called to them, and Moses and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, <clears throat> that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Why the veil? The veil covers the glory, right? Because if Moses continued to be in God, in their presence, in Israel's presence, when they have the heart of stone, they're only going to be condemned and judged and destroyed because sinful flesh cannot come into the presence of the living God. So he comes out of the, he comes off Mount Sinai. He speaks the word of God to them, gives them the old covenant, and that's with glory. And then as soon as he's done, he covers it with a veil so that they're not destroyed. The veil is a combination of judgment and mercy. They should be able to enjoy the glory of God, but they can't. And they can't be changed, so it's judgment. But it's also mercy, so that they're not destroyed. So that God can be in their presence partially until the new covenant should come. Paul says here in Corinthians, you and I, who love Jesus, who have been transformed by the gospel, who have been given the gift of the new covenant and the spirit, we are not as Moses. We are not as Israel. There's no need for a veil anymore. 
you and I, because of Jesus, we can go into the Holy of Holies. We can go up on Mount Sinai. We can go into the very temple presence of God and not be destroyed. Christ is our shield. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our perfection. And he's given us his spirit, and we can walk into the presence of God unmediated, no veil. And we can bask in God's glory, and we can become fully human. Verse 18. We can be transformed. It doesn't end in judgment. It ends in life and transformation and becoming fully human, becoming the full image of God again. Verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, that's in the face of Christ, of course, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, creation glory, fallen glory, to new creation glory. For this comes all from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In the gospel, in the new covenant, in the gift of the Spirit, in the gift of the heart of flesh, taking out the divine, in the divine heart surgery, the heart of stone, the heart of rebellion, the heart of death, the heart of sin, the downward spiral of sin that always leads to condemnation, judgment, and death, sets us free for righteousness, sets us free for obedience, writes, our law, writes the law in our heart, creates a heart that loves God, that loves Jesus, that wants to obey him, that wants to love our neighbor as ourself, that wants to do what's right. In the gospel, God is recreating a people for himself, image bearers, because plan A is still plan A. God's original purposes for creation, that there would be a world, the king through his royal sons and daughters who perfectly reflect and refract and rule and fill the world with his glory. That's still plan A. And God, in and through, despite Israel, in Jesus, his son, the image of God, the perfect image of God, makes us into his own image, transforms us, heals us, resurrects us, brings us into a resurrected new creation where we will dwell with him as full, complete, flourishing, humans, image bearers, forever. I love forever. I love that word. I hate the word temporary, and I love the word forever, because we're going to be with Jesus forever. We're going to live in a new creation forever. We're going to enjoy God's presence, unmediated temple presence forever in the garden. You're going to get to swim with the dolphins if that's your thing. <laughs> there's going to be fruit. There's going to be feasting. There's going to be responsibilities. There's going to be play. You love football? We'll play football. It's all going to be redeemed. This is just kind of the Till the end of the world, this is just kind of the preface, the introduction to the story. 
because the true story is on its way. The true story is yet to come. Application. You are members of the new covenant if you love Jesus. You have the gift of the Spirit. You have the new heart. You are being renewed into the image of God. Yes, you. It doesn't come from you anyway. We're all things that the cat dragged in. It wasn't for Jesus. No glory here. It's all of God. And moreover, you mediate the new covenant. You mediate the spirit. You mediate Jesus. You give Jesus because you are the kingdom of priests, right? You are the, Esca, you are the new Israel. Your task is to bring God's glory to the nations. And as you share the gospel and you share Jesus, as you love Jesus, as you embody Jesus to people, people are transformed. And the kingdom expands. And new creation comes. As we take the Lord's Supper, the Spirit is also mediated, and the New Covenant is also mediated. In the Lord's Supper, as we read in Luke 22, we remember the words that Jesus spoke on the Last Supper. It was a Passover meal, which is another Old Testament reference which we won't go into now but at his final passover meal at the last supper with his disciples the night the night before he was betrayed jesus said this he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When we take the Lord's Supper, what are we preaching to each other? What are we, what are we proclaiming to each other? We're proclaiming the new covenant that was established in Jesus' own blood. And we're saying to each other, you have the new heart. You have the gift of the Spirit. You have the heart of flesh. You're being made an image bearer again. You're going to be fully human someday. And it all happens because of Jesus. As we take of the bread, as we drink of the cup, Remember that it's the new covenant ratified at the cross of Christ for you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you so much.